Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you in-depth interviews with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the writer Rick Ellis and the director Jason Moore, who are the creators of The Share Show, the new bio-musical that just opened on Broadway. Ellis knows a thing or two about behind-the-music stage shows. He wrote the book to the Tony winner Jersey Boys, as well as shows including The Addams Family and Peter and the Starcatcher. Moore, meanwhile, has directed Broadway musicals, including Avenue Q and Shrek, and movies like Pitch Perfect and the Tina Fey Amy Poehler comedy Sisters. Rick and Jason are among the major players who put together this splashy new Broadway look at the life of Cher, and they're taking us behind the scenes with one real-life superstar, three onstage shares, and a lot of feathers, sequins, and skin. Hi, Rick and Jason. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for having us. Hi, Gordon. Uh, so I feel like the first question I have to ask both of you is, when did you meet Cher and what was she wearing? Wow. Well, I'll, while you think, yes. I, I, while you, Jason, think, yes. I, Rick, will answer. <laughs> and, um, that was uh, very professional, identifying yourself. I, um, I, the first time I met her... Uh, was at the hotel suite where we were just the other day, um, and she was wearing a uh, a, a white do rag on her head, mm. and she was wearing uh, holy jeans and a t shirt sort of in the Jennifer Beale um, mode, you know, with Ooh, one yeah. shoulder, and um, and uh, uh, and that was uh, and that was in New York. And the first time I met her in, in uh, California at her home, she was wearing yoga pants and. Uh, this time all black, all in black, yoga yeah. pants, no shoes, no socks, um, and uh, sort of a, you know, the same sort of sweatshirt. And uh, and then she, and it was a really hot day, and she said, I'm going in the pool, you want to come? And <laughs> I, and, and the next thing I knew, she was wearing nothing, and she was in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> Is she still impossibly glamorous, no matter what she's wearing? I, you know, the, the thing that struck me, especially in, in New York, she was getting glammed up because she was going, I think, to the Met Gala right, that night. Right. Mm-hmm. How um, long ago? Was, how, how many years ago was this? This was at the end of May of 2015. Okay. When I first met her at, in, here, here in New, in New York. York. Yeah, okay. Um, and then the following October, I remember it was just before uh, uh, Halloween because I arrived uh, with a Buddha in one arm and a pumpkin in the other um, because I figured I, one of the, one, one of them the, would be one of these will be okay yeah. and, and um, it turned out to be the Buddha that was appropriate yeah. and um, and then we sort of played football with the pumpkin but um, but uh, uh, sh- there she was completely unadorned you know she she was wearing no makeup she you know she just had her hair done she just finished her yoga class she was a little overheated and and I thought wow, you know, this is a really great-looking woman. And you were meeting with her to talk about the show and what it would be at that point? Well, uh, really meeting with her to talk about if there was a show, what it might be like, but mostly just to sort of get to know each other because um, before um, any ideas about what the show might be like, it was important to know what it was about her that she felt the audience... An audience needed to know it's such a it's it's such a well documented life, and she's yeah. been famous for so long, and 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 photographed for so long, 
um, that it's possible to never have bought a Cher record or to see, have seen an episode of The Sunday and Cher show or to have never seen her in a film and still to know almost everything about her. You know, she's just sort of in the soup. So um, my big question was, what could I tell an audience that would make it worth their time to come and see the show? Especially since you're out there on the road still performing, still touring all over the place, playing Vegas. They, if they want to see Cher, they can go see Cher. Right. And what did you decide? From those meetings, what did you take away from those meetings that you thought, ah, these are, this is what this show needs to tell audiences? I I, I found that we we bonded in in in, in uh, you know they say write what you know, and um, I don't know I didn't know very much about Cher other than the public knowledge, um, and uh, uh, but I found quickly uh, talking to her that we bonded in sort of uh, some uh, emotional experiences that were very similar um, sh- uh, and we talked a lot about m- my husband had just died and we talked a lot about loss and um, and how she managed to find her way back into the world of living um, in fact she uh, you know she said on the phone when she called me and she said I, I really think you should come out and, and we should get to know each other um, she said I want you to rejoin the human race and I said oh Cher, you're quoting Thornton Wilder, really? And she said, no, I'm quoting Hello, Dolly. And then we, and then we laughed and laughed and laughed, and I thought, okay, I can, I can talk to this person. <laughs> and this would have been before you came on board, Jason, is Correct. that right? Is yeah. that, okay, because you came on a couple of years later, one year later? One year no, a year, was, later. a year later. A year later. Less than a year later. By the summer okay. uh, of uh, 16, Jason was, uh, was in charge. And, and then tell me about sort of the... As you went from there, Rick and Jason, once you were aboard, how did you think about what the show should look like and feel like and what it should, you know, be about? Well, after Rick had spent the weeks with Cher and then written the draft, that's when I came aboard and I was thrilled because it had these theatrical layers to it. You know, it was it's a life, incredible life lived and incredible, you know, range of songs and styles and decades, which was kind of what I expected and hoped would be there. But Rick had created these extra theatrical layers that I thought made it really special. For those who haven't seen it already, what is that? There there were two at the time. One was that there were three women who play Cher, but not just because of age difference, but because it's sort of like the notion of Cher talking to herself, the voices in her head that your older self talks to your younger self and negotiates your memories and tries to, has different points of views on things at different periods. So the three Cher's are on stage the whole time sort of ta- having the same experience and reliving it from their own perspectives that was one and, and then we had sort of a layer of uh, uh, that the, the, the share show was a variety show being performed and there was a backstage story as well oh which that is was, not there right now. That is not yeah. there now. Well, you know, it it came out of those those early days when I was spending day after day with her, and at the end of every day, she would say, "So, so, what do you think? What do you want to do? What do you want to do?" And um, and uh, <laughs> in the course of our conversations, it became clear that she was much more knowledgeable about cinema than she was about theater. So I, at, on the last day, as I was gathering, you know, my things um, and getting ready to um, go to the airport, she said, "So, what, what do you want to do?" And I, and and I had been thinking about the Sonny and Cher show, um, variety show that she had talked about a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so I said, really, just as a way to go and say goodbye, <laughs> I said, I, I said, I, 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 and we had already talked about the, the, the use of more than one actor to play Cher. How did that come up? When, did, in terms of, was that initially talked about as 
as an Ages of Share kind of thing? Was in, it was a, in the very, very first conversation I had with her at the hotel, and mm-hmm. she said, how would you think, how do you think you'd want to do this? And I said, I'm not sure that I'm the right person to do this. But if I, and she said, but if you were, what would you do? And I said, well, off the top of my head, I wouldn't have one actor play Share. You're too famous. Everybody knows who you are. I had uh, co-written uh, Jersey Boys with uh, the legendary Marshall Brickman, yes. and and um, and we had an easier task there because while people were familiar with the Four Seasons music, they were not familiar at all with those four guys. So any reasonable facsimile of those guys was acceptable to the audience because they didn't know better. With Share, you can't get away with that. And of course, there's a whole. Um, industry of share impersonators who have, who are quite well known and quite um, out there, and uh, uh, so I said, um, what what amuses what would amuse me is the ability to take a song, let's say that we've only ever heard as a solo, and hear it as a duet or a trio. What would amuse me is that instead of having <clears throat> instead of relying on a narrative device. Uh, uh, to, where the actor turns out to the audience and says, and then you'll never believe what happened next. If you had more than one, they could actually play a girl group as opposed to a single person, and they could argue with each other, support each other, um, push back against each other, as Jason was describing. Right. And I thought, as a writer, I thought that would be fun to write those scenes and to kind of think, well, maybe they could be written as a, as a monologue divided amongst three voices and then tempered by the idea of what you might know when you were 16 that you would have forgotten by the time you were 50 and vice versa. <clears throat> but also I liked the musical variety that, that it, um, it would give us uh, and to present songs in, that audiences have heard a million times in a way that made them feel like they were hearing it maybe for the first time. And, um, and to have the power of multiple female voices I think is a thrilling sound in the theater and it's not done enough. Um, and uh, so that was that was very very. So I said that, and she said, "Oh well, that's sort of interesting." And then I talked about, you know, it's an old 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 old. I mean, Shakespeare. Not only Shakespeare did it, but you know, the the very first act, the very first actor to play Oedipus was in fact three actors, because Aeschylus had a funny voice, and and uh, and he wanted to. Uh, you know, dis- uh, describe an entire lifetime in one evening in the amphitheater. So it's just like it's an old theatrical device, and I thought the old theatrical devices are still around because they work well. Right. When did you find out that the Donna Summer musical happened to be doing something kind of similar? About a year and a half later. Yeah. Um, Cher, in her enthusiasm, uh, 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 when I got off the plane, coming home from having spent a few days with her, uh, she had already announced on Twitter... Uh, that I was doing it, so and it was that, happening, and that yeah. I was doing <laughs> it, that, and that we were going to do it with three shares. So I, you know, I thought, oh, you know, I and I called her and said, you know, share. It's, it would be better to, um, you know, you you only get one bite at the apple, and like until this is real. And she said, well, share gets as many bites as share wants. And I said. And she talks about herself in the third person. <laughs> and, and that's when I knew that the three was a really good idea right. because, uh, you know, so we have the third person, the second person, and the first person in our show. And she actually does that. Um, but going out, leaving the, that last day just to get out the door, I said, I, I, maybe we'll do the Terry Gilliam variety show of your life. Right. Because Terry Gilliam, I knew she would know because she knows everything about movies. And she went, oh, that sounds good. And then I got in the car and I thought, what the hell did, does that even mean? And then I spent a few months trying to figure it out because I didn't know Jason Terry then. Gilliam, if people don't know who Terry Gilliam is, he is the director of films like Brazil, Brazil. and 
What other crazy uh, Well, you know, the Von Munchausen within which, and that's right. what I said, you know, like where a little boy opens his closet in his bedroom and a pirate ship comes out. Right. I like that kind of theater. And it, it, what's extraordinary about it on screen is that you don't usually see it because film can be mostly a literal medium. And theater, of course, is a theatrical medium. And I love theatricality and simplicity and the power of the audience playing along the interactivity of it where you can say this this chair is a tree and the audience goes okay it's a tree and so then Jason how do you create that world on stage how do you think about staging it and making it magical well when we kind of really leaned into the notion of these three shares as the sort of center uh, theatrical device that we wanted and that there was a variety show conceit that we had sort of left mostly behind in Chicago but we decided to lean into that which is that the audience feels like they already have a relationship with Cher on the TV show she used to talk to the camera in her concert she talks to the audience and so we kind of we decided that that would be one of the driving principles is that we were doing a musical first but it could have some of the flavors of a variety show which means you have a host, you have an opening number, you have a host, you have a comic monologue, you have a sketch. And those were the things that Rick had already done in the original draft. And so for the New York production, we really decided to lean into that idea. So, you know, we also looked at all those old variety shows and we have a set that's mostly made of lights, which is what the, all the old shows had. So it can feel sort of modern and vintage at the same time. Um, it has definitive like, now, now we're hosting and telling you what you're about to see next. We have some sketches that are done in style like a western style. Uh, and so it has a, it, it is a musical comedy in that way is that there's a lot of variety to it um, so w- our, our biggest challenge was also the writing challenge which is there's so much life so many songs so many locations is sort of ease of how do you make that move quickly and Rick's very good at keeping the move, music and drama driving well that was one of my questions is how hard is it to find and Rick you've obviously done this before how hard is it to find a to match a song that already exists with a with an emotional moment that is, in most cases, happening at the concurrent time that the song was recorded. Is that a... How hard is that? That that feels like a lot of puzzle pieces to try and fit together all at once. Well, I like puzzles, you know. Mm-hmm. the, the uh, I think writing a musical is, in fact, a great big puzzle, which is why the super talented geniuses that whose names we all know and revere sometimes have shows that are wonderful and sometimes have shows that aren't. There's no... So sorry. That's quite all right. It might be an offer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, They they um, uh, because there's no formula, and it's not a science; it's an art. You know, you you never quite know what you're doing, or if it's going to be right or wrong. You just you're guessing a lot of the time. Hopefully, they're educated guesses, and hopefully, you'll guess right more than you guess wrong. There's a lot of trial and error with the with the. uh, with with share the additional challenge was you don't want it to be sort of a Wikipedia kind of a, a show bullet points you know this happened then this happened then this happened then this happened you want to be able to do some deep dives and 55 years is a long time for two and a half hours on stage where half of the half hour of that time is you know intermission and curtain going up at five minutes after the hour so and and you know that there's going to be way more than an hour of music because it's a musical and and you know and the audience must be satisfied 
What you were talking about in terms of finding the emotional moment that matches the song is one of the things that I love that Rick did in the original draft and continues to do is we, we don't actually adhere to the timeline. We can take a right. song from the later disco era and we put it in the 60s or we reconceive the one of the songs from the 60s as a bossa nova number that encompasses the Academy Award sequence in the end. So the sort of freedom to go, uh, let's not adhere to that this happened, this happened, this happened, let's find the songs that match the moments was really helpful. Also, Cher herself interpreted songs and covered songs. So we had kind of a, in the world of Cher, there was already a versatility about music that we could kind of make to our advantage. Can I do a little sidebar? Please. Uh, Jason just alluded to um, this uh, this uh, uh, six-minute number we have in Act Two, which covers um, Cher's film career. There was um, a lot of question from Cher and um, and her pals who were saying, well, are you going to do, is there going to be a scene from Moonstruck? Is there going to be a scene from Silkwood? Is there going to be a, a scene from Mask? Is there going to be a scene backstage with her and Mike Nichols or with her and, and uh, Bogdanovich or with her and uh, Shanley uh, and uh, Norman Jewison? And I thought, well, you know, if you want to watch the movies, you can watch the movies. Why would you come to a Broadway theater to see a recreation of a movie scene without the people who made that scene famous? And without the mise-en-scene of camera and editing. And, um, and Jason, who directs films and theater, uh, uh, you know, is very familiar with the idea of, uh, let's call it the film montage concept of you get from here to here on a timeline through the use of music and lap dissolves and, you know, slow motion and that sort of stuff, um, the odd line of dialogue. But you can't really do that on stage. But... In the theater, we can do our version of it, and this sequence is the 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 theater version of that kind of a time span, where in the course of six minutes, you see a young woman having decided to be a real, honest-to-God actress, uh, uh, sort of luck her way into her first film, and six minutes later, she's won the Oscar for Best Actress, and it's all done to one of her trademark numbers that Sonny Bono wrote in 1965. It has nothing to do with the film career. And um, just with a little massaging of, uh, of lyric here and there and a, a, little, a few lines of dialogue and some um, astonishing appearances of, of some uh, trademark Bob Mackey costume, yeah. uh, the audience is taken through um, a decade of a woman's life and career, and uh, in, in a way that you couldn't, you you know, would be would would never work on film, or on uh, you know on uh, streaming, uh, but uh, but in the theater is it's so exhilarating, and it started literally with just a, a, an idea: could this work? And then Jason and Christopher Gatelli, our choreographer, and uh, and me and Daryl Waters, a music supervisor, sort of like created a thing on paper and then put it on the cast and from really even when it was first done in its first iteration it was it was really really thrilling because it's the thing that only theater can do this this also this number also sort of supports our theme which is the youngest share sort of performs most of this number even though the the oldest share is the one that was going through the experience so the youngest share at a young woman dreamed of being an actress so by the end of that sequence she's the one who holds the oscar so we're also trying to look to like how do you communicate with all the parts of you that you drag along with you in your life uh, you mentioned the costumes by Bob Mackey, which are <laughs> did uh, I? You did, you did, um, and there there are a lot of them. There are um, a lot, and how many? You did a yeah, count how many? It's like six hundred and thirty-five costumes, Jeez. three thousand 
pieces, six million feathers, mm-hmm. and a costume change every thirty-five seconds. Well, that, that's my question. How and zero underwear? Which of that? <laughs> which of those costumes proved the most difficult? I mean, there's one sequence that's basically a fashion show in the most delightful way. I mean, the stars the stars come out. They may or may not even sing in that sequence, and then come back, and then come back, like, and. It's delightful, but I kept thinking to myself, these are complicated. How did they get them on and off, and what was the hardest? The most complicated part is that, Bob, like he said, there isn't a lot underneath them, right? Because they were very sexy and very form-fitting. So that was one of the toughest things to figure out how to make those quick changes effective and safe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, in the theater, what you do is you put a a costume on, then you put a costume on over that, and you put a costume on over that, and when you go off, somebody rips the first one off, and you're wearing the second one, then they rip the second one off, and you're wearing the one that's underneath. But when all your body is showing, you can't actually do that. So there have to be, um, there has to be this a show that the audience doesn't see, which is the show of dressers in the dark, in the dark with flashlights in their teeth, um, and actors who are, um, you know, just sort of stripped down and to nothing, and then reclad in almost nothing, and (laughs) turned around and pushed back into the light. And it is, it's, it's an extraordinary. Accomplishment that required lots and lots of rehearsal. I was going to say that you probably have to rehearse even more than whatever was happening on stage in that sequence, right? It it became one of the driving things that we had to solve, both sort of on paper, who's changing when and who, which is one of the advantages we discovered of having three shares, is one could be changing clothes while the other two were doing that. Uh Um, But also that, uh, that, 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 part of what's exciting for the audience about seeing all the clothes which I think some people sit down to share to hopefully see is all of them so right. the more the faster the better so we ended up uh, we got really good at six hands on one woman getting them to change clothes right right and it's not I mean it, 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 it's not just a fashion show it is another one of these time travel things because yeah. she's it's the, the number begins right. and the show is brand new and they have no budget and the number ends and it's a couple of seasons later and now she really just wants to go home. Are astonishing, yeah, yes. right, right. But you know, but but the number and all the excitement of the number actually travels us forward in time as well, which is you know Jason's right. special genius. Yeah. And so, you've got the script at this point. At some point, and then you realize you have to cast three shares. What do you What are you looking for? What? How do you? How did you think about uh, the qualities that each would embody? I mean, of course, we were like, they sort of have to look somewhat like her. They have to maybe be able to sing like her. But for me, it was just like, who has that kind of star swagger? You know, who has... Cher is a planet. She has this gravitational pull. And she's also able to be very authentic at the same time. It's one of the things that I love about her. She's a diva, but you feel like you could just, like, have a burger with her because you can. And so looking for people that can embody that kind of authenticity. And how did you think about... Uh, Rick, you were talking about the, the Cher impersonators. Like, I... How far is too far when suddenly you turn into, you know, Sean Hayes and yeah. Will and yeah. Grace doing, we, pretending to do share, right? We had to really, we had to turn the dial and it was different for each actress because there were more shareisms in the later actor than right. in when she was sort of finding her own voice, which is part of our story. And so we started, we started small and we started adding intonation. It was easier to find the share voice while singing. We added a few hair flips. We added a little bit of tongue. We had to pull some back because yeah. it was too much um, because it was trying to find the balance. How does it feel natural on that person? And also how does it evoke share without feeling like we're trying to be her because we found that the more you try and sound like her and be her the more distancing it is for the audience because yeah. you're like oh right it sounds too much like her how do either of you have either of you perfected your share impression and can you do it? <laughs> oh god <laughs> lord no 
You know, there just hasn't been enough time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, maybe, we, maybe we'll work on it now. We did discover <laughs> that it made a big difference to put the wigs on the women, the wigs, and we've just never Is worn them. Is that because them, of the so hair flip? Or? It's because of the hair flip. Okay. That straight hair makes people behave very differently. <laughs> Well, and Stephanie is, is Stephanie. Um, this uh, is Stephanie J. Block. Uh, Stephanie J. Block. Star Share. Yeah, she plays Star Share, and um, and she w- w- came into rehearsal in September and said, "I, I think I, I was using um, uh, white strips on my teeth, and so I had to I sort of talk and like put my lip over my teeth in a way that isn't natural for her." And her husband said, "There's the voice. There's the voice." <laughs> so the, they they present themselves in in, in uh, at odd times and odd places. These shareisms. Cher herself is really understood also, though, the authenticity beneath that. She actually went to Stephanie one day and said, you're such an incredible performer. You should be as much you as you are me. And that was also one of our driving and principles. That's a, and, that's ap- and that's certainly true of the three of them. I mean, and, and in a way, it helps their relatability, I think, for yeah. the au- people in the audience, men and women, because they're not, as Jason said, sort of pushed back by an impersonation. We were never interested in impersonations. We were interested in sort of creating... Uh, 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 the totality of, uh, of, a, of a female person in a way that the audience would understand, that would feel authentic, and that the audience would still feel um, relatable. Because after all, there's a lot about her life and her career that's not relatable at all. She's just so much more famous than any of us and has been for so much longer than any of us. So wh- how, do you, how do you identify with someone who's on that kind of a pedestal? And it was actually through the humanity of the, of the three actresses. What did you find the most surprising thing you learned, either of you, talking about talking to Cher about her life and what her experiences were, and what what do you feel like this show brings forward that uh, people haven't seen before? Uh, one of the things that strikes me about her life she she talks about her life as a we talk about her like as a survivor and reinvention, which in, in, implies all of this sort of forethought. She describes her life like being on a bumper car, which is sort of instinctual. So she didn't plan everything, but what she always planned was being authentic to herself. So all of these moments where she bumped into a wall and then had to reinvent herself, she hadn't manipulated the thinking. She just turned to the next direction like a bumper car and and attacked the next thing. So whether that was singing or dance music or or acting in movies, um, the kind of notion that it was her authenticity that allowed her to reinvent herself rather than some sort of external manipulation. That was a big thing that I learned in talking to her, and I thought that was really, that became part of our theme, which is finding yourself is how you find your next step. I, I, I think um, the, the thing that I learned that was, that was in the script because, you know, this is what she told me and this is, this is what I wrote, but I didn't, I didn't really get it until we had audiences here in New York that um, she was in, um, in several important senses something of a pioneer. She was a, a, she was a professional woman who was also a mother. She had to be on set but she also wanted to be with her kid. She, um, she, uh, when she left Sunny, she was broke, and she had to figure out a way to support her mother, her sister, and her uh, child. Um, and then she became successful, and then she lost it all again. And then she went to New York to become an actress with no guarantees of anything, and found herself, again, managing her kids, because she had two by then, and and uh, and and career and family, um, finding that balance is something that Cher did long before it became um, even the point of 
the feminist movement. I mean, she was at, really at the vanguard of that because she became famous at ju- and at just about the same time that on the, over here on this coast, Betty Friedan was was talking about the the, um, the feminine feminine mystique and and. Cher sort of is the feminine mystique in a way. She is the embodiment of all of that, and she was kind of there at the beginning of it as a young, you know, as an adolescent. And now, as a mature person who has lived her life, she's constantly bumper card her way, not just um, in in random ways, but the ran- it, despite the randomness of it, she's always managed to fulfill what in our culture has always been perceived as the traditional male role, which is provider. At the end of the show, she says, you know what, I, I, you know, her mother says, I, I still wish you'd settle down and marry a rich man, which has been sort of a refrain. And she says, mother, I am a rich man. And the response that the audience gives, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's huge because it has the ring of truth because she actually has done that. And, um, I remember uh, uh, Jane Wagner wrote a great line for Lily Tomlin in uh, Search for Signs of Intelligent Life uh, of a, uh, in a, uh, a sequence about a woman who was trying to have it all, and she said, gee, if I had known it was going to be this hard having it all, I would have been willing to settle for less. Cher never settled for less, and here she is at, at this point demonstrating that. I think that's why that line rings such a loud bell for the audience. You both alluded to the fact that the show uh, had a run in Chicago. Um, it was over, over the summer, right? Um, that uh, before coming here, what was the biggest thing you learned? What was the takeaway from Chicago that influenced what the show is now? They have really good restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go. I, I go. Um, that that many many people who sit down have an opinion and a relationship with Cher already and that you're it ignore that at your peril I guess that's kind of what we yes. learned which is you we had a, still have we had some really great ideas but they got in the way of people's access to the things that they love so I think we sort of changed the balance which is to give people some of like full songs and that that version of Cher that they know and love and then once you we had that port of entry then we could explore things they didn't know you know behind the scenes internal thinking theatrical ideas and so that was probably the biggest switch I think was leaning into people already have a relationship with her let's take advantage of that as our way to tell a new story there's also you know the managing of expectations people associate yeah. share with fun yeah and um, and Jason's too polite to say it so I will um, I had you know I I had written a show that was darker um, because I uh, because that was the point I was trying to make it is possible to find life after love um, being, you know, a principal lyric of her most famous oh, recording. Her, yeah. oh. And, and um, the opening number and, of this. And we, so we created a show with a lot of angst in it, and we went, I think, we veered into a darkness that was a disconnect for the audience. And, um, and then, having perceived that, uh, what we did, which I think was, you know, rather brave and unusual, is we jettisoned all of that and decided to make a show that did, that, that did not disconnect with the audience where a show that is based on fun and laughter and a good time around a much simpler idea that while you think of me Cher as this person up here in a g-string prancing around in fact it takes a lot of courage to for me to do that because I've always been shy and, and afraid of people since I was a little girl and that simple notion of well, I started out shy and afraid of people, becomes at the end, you know what, I still am. And there are still things that I have to overcome to be able to 
stand up here in a G-string, but by God, I do it, and, and you can too. That's why it's called The Cher Show, because it's The Gordon Show, or The Juliana Show, or the Chelsea show. These are the women who are sitting with us. Yes, <laughs> um, not just random names, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but, but you know, all good names. it's the you know, if you if you want to run your own show, don't don't worry about not ever being afraid of anything. Understand that you're afraid, and be strong enough to keep that fear and do it anyway. And it's a simple idea, um, but it's uh, you know rather articulately stated and beautifully um, so by uh, Stephanie at the end of the play. And 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 I guess it kind of rings a bell with the audience. Thank goodness, because there are a lot of people out there like that, including me. And uh, and I think, yeah, okay. I sort of feel like I can. If if she can do it, so can I. And I think that that's a great. Um, I think that's a great takeaway for the crowd. And so I'm I'm talking to the two of you just a couple days before the show opens. This is going to be released. A we haven't days opened after. yet. <laughs> I thought we opened. <laughs> um, What's next for you both? Uh, Jason, I know you've got uh, another musical coming up. I start rehearsal, yeah, actually right after we open for a new <laughs> musical called Superhero, yep. written by Tom Kitt, Music and Lyrics, and the book by John Logan. Uh, it's a very wonderful, beautiful, emotional, original story. Cool. And Rick, what's next for you? Do you have anything on screen yet, actually? Uh, do you have screen work coming up? I, there'll be a, a movie next fall, but I'm not sure which oh. one it'll be yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, which one it'll yeah. be? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out which one will they're, happen. They're stacked up like airplanes at <laughs> <know>. JFK. <laughs> what's next for you, Rick? I am going to um, describe Jason's career for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of a podcast. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> More. More is more. It's yeah. <laughs> Sort of a recap. Uh, but, yeah. I, I, uh, I, too, um, rather insanely, a week after uh, Monday, I guess on the 10th, start rehearsals for a, 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 a little musical. Oh, it's funny how we both, like, the pendulum has swung away yeah. from <laughs> the gargantuan share show <laughs> sure. to, you know, a small little intimate musical uh, uh, set in London in 1966 at a, at a karaoke club. Um, visited by all the famous music uh, rock and rollers who were waiting to become famous on the on the brink of the uh, British invasion, um, and when uh, 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 we're going to do it at, at uh, uh, Paper Mill Playhouse oh, in um, whenever February, right? Um, so and what's that called? It's called uh, My Very Own British Invasion. That way, people know it's about the British invasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you enjoy, you seem to have sort of a special? Uh, you sort of specialize now in taking these this sort of catalog of songs that exists and stringing them together in well, a story. Do you enjoy that? I could. Well, I uh, I what I like is doing diff- things that are different. So while um, yes, Jersey Boys is um, you know a show based on a uh, you know a pre-existing catalog of songs and so is the share show they're really quite different they from could each not other. be more different right and yeah. um and thank you for saying that uh but uh but i'm also adapting uh water for elephants for the stage as a musical which right. has nothing to do with uh you know a catalog score right. uh with uh, the pig pen theater collective and and uh and i'm working on uh a, a, a musical for disney that's based on for the first time they're going to do something that's not a, a disney um title uh and uh uh, you know, and, an, and an, uh, an original show for. Uh, uh, I, I just wanted. I just want to do things that are different. I started really late, Gordon, and so yeah. I, I just. I, I don't have that much time left. So I want to just like, if something different comes along, um, I, I I like to I like to see if I can 
you know, figure out a way to, to, to do it. Good. Well, we can't wait to see what different is coming from you both. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Gordon. Happy opening. Thank you, Gordon. That was Rick Ellis and Jason Moore, the writer and director of The Share Show, now on Broadway. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. Until next week, see you at the theater. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.